Batfolio voice peeps, I am so glad that you tuned into this episode. This was a long-anticipated conversation, and let me tell you, it delivered. I sat down with the one and only Vet Tech Kelsey to ruminate on the issues of life and veterinary medicine. If you don't know who Vet Tech Kelsey is, please, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, go to her Facebook page, Vet Tech Kelsey, and just peruse that a little. It is full of joyful moments and positive insights, funny videos, and most importantly, some mind-blowing song parodies with a distinct nod to vet med. Kelsey Beth Carpenter is a registered veterinary technician, social media manager, singer-songwriter, speaker-performer, and content creator. Kelsey has enjoyed working in emergency hospitals across California for over a decade. At her most recent clinic, she fell in love with the open hospital concept and is passionate about teaching others how to implement this structure in their own practices. Kelsey also works as a social media manager for DrAndyRourke.com, a content specialist for the Uncharted Veterinary Conferences and Community, and the manager of her own growing brand, VetTech Kelsey. With a background in the arts, Kelsey is passionate about the power of creativity, the importance of humor, and the magic that happens when art and science overlap. In her free time, or what she has of it, she can be found hiking, writing goofy songs about veterinary medicine, and dressing up her chihuahua, even though she swore she would never be that person. All right, I hope that gives you a taste of what you're in for. Let's go ahead and jump in. Well, I'm joined for this episode by Vet Tech Kelsey. This is very exciting. I'm so excited to talk to you. And we're going to touch on creativity in vet med because we had this initial conversation, Kelsey, where I said, I don't think that I'm the most creative person. And after talking to you, I felt differently. And I also felt like I'd had like a little therapy session. (laughs) Okay. I feel so accomplished now. I'm so happy. Let's just make sure everybody's familiar with who you are. If you've not checked out Kelsey's page, Vet Tech Kelsey, I highly encourage you to do so, especially like if you need a good laugh there, some of the best vet med song parodies I've ever heard. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. So tell us your story about getting into vet med and kind of what got you to where you are today. Yeah. I think there's like two types of people in veterinary medicine. There's the type who like knew they wanted to be a vet from the day they were born. And then there's a type that takes like a really meandering path (laughs) to vet medicine. That was, I'm more the latter for sure. I went to UCLA studying world arts and cultures with a concentration in dance. (laughs) Somehow ended up volunteering at a veterinary hospital, falling head over heels in love with it as we all do when we first have our first job in veterinary medicine then just kind of gradually working my way from veterinary assistant, going through a program, getting my vet tech license and just, you know, making it my entire career. So uh, definitely fully utilizing my dance degree there. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Tell us more about that because you talked about that a little bit before with your, your dance degree and how that correlated to vet med. And I definitely didn't see it until we talked, but it's so interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I always just remember... I started around the same time as another, um, it was actually another um, guy around my age who um, was interested in getting into veterinary medicine. And so we were kind of like hand in hand going through learning like restraint and vaccines and things like that. I feel like restraint is one of the first things you often learn when you're new in the hospital and it can be a little complicated, right? Like 
for a blood draw, you may hold a dog four different ways, depending on where you're drawing the blood. And then for a cat, even if you're drawing in the same place, you're going to hold them completely differently as well. It's just all different. And um, so there's a lot of anatomy and positions to learn and techniques to learn. And I remember feeling like it came very naturally to me. And I think it's because in my brain, it was like choreography. And so it was that this arm goes here and this leg goes here and pressure goes here and lighter here. And it was in my brain, it just processes total choreography. It was, you know, body on body contact. And we do that in dance all the time. And and so it really helped me in that way. I feel like there's a lot of careers where these little things can can really apply in veterinary medicine. And that's kind of where our our creativity conversation came from of, you know, when you when you described it in that way, the light bulb went on for me and I went, oh, my gosh, you're right, which might explain why I was never that good at restraint, because um, if anybody has ever seen me dance, that would, that would yeah, not <laughs> you, not something that clicked really. Easily. I highly recommend getting a, a full dance degree for anyone interested in veterinary medicine. <laughs> yes, it's going to become a prerequisite. Do you have a bachelor's in, with a concentration on dance? Hired, boom. Love it. Oh, so how did how did you go from, what did you say your degree was with a concentration in dance? Oh, uh, world arts and cultures. Okay, world arts and cultures with a concentration in dance. So what was the catalyst there for you to say, I want to... I want to volunteer at veterinary hospital. Honestly, I just missed the, I missed animals. You know, you're living in the dorms in college and you can't, you, you, no one has any pets. And I had grown up with pets luckily, and I just missed them. So I missed being yeah. around animals. And then I also, you know, I was taking all these artsy classes and, and it, it was all just very arts-based and very like talking about feelings and things like that, <laughs> you know, and I missed the science and the math and the numbers and the, this happens. And then this happens. It's like just such a different part of your brain. Right. And I missed exercising that my growing up, my mom is actually a registered nurse at a major hospital in the neonatal intensive care unit. So I always admired what she did. And so it just made sense in my brain. I want to go into, you know, work in this medical field, or I'm going to get to use the science and math part of my brain but also get to be around animals. It just fulfilled all the requirements. And, you know, focus on movement. Use and my choreography. This. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it fit in a way that, and I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things about vet med is we have people who come into vet med from all different degree tracks and paths. And I, like you was not one who said, you know, from the time I was born, I wanted to be a vet. My path was a little meandering as well, not quite as much, like I, I went to school for animal sciences. So okay. I kind of had an idea by the time I went to college, but it, I mean, it took me until college to make that decision. Yeah. But I love that we can bring in all of these different experiences and strengths and weaknesses and interests and make them into part of this career because it is such a, such a widely varied career. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've worked with people with all types of backgrounds. I'm sure you have too. Like, and I think it, it does all come together in this really interesting quilt of <laughs> team, you know, that, that, that works well together. I love that. I, I think those backgrounds, like veterinary medicine would be a little more boring if we all just took a really straight path. Not to say that that's a bad thing. That's for some people, that's a wonderful thing because they come with even more experience and background and that's really valuable too. 
and then at the same time, having those diverse backgrounds, you get people who are really great at writing. And so they can be the people that create your protocols or write out your newsletters to your clients, or maybe people who are very body aware. And so they can focus on techniques for restraining and inter- you know teach other people, you know, whatever it may be. All those strengths come together in this really interesting fruit salad. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, you know, talking about adaptability in vet med, you recently encountered something where you really had to tap into that adaptability. Are you comfortable talking about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, around the time the pandemic was happening, I had like my own personal little pandemic. (laughs) I think we all did, actually, right? We all had our lives turned upside down in some way or another. And I developed what I now have a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and a pretty severe form of it. And so I just developed very intense, chronic, full body widespread pain. And it was very disabling to the point that like I was unable to, you know, often stand long enough just to take a shower or, you know, I started out when I first started walking again, I was walking a block at a time and that was like a struggle. So it was a major change from obviously what we do as a vet tech every day, up and down off the floor and lifting dogs and doing backflips, you know? And so it was just a a major life change. And while it, it, I would describe it as extremely difficult and heartbreaking in many ways, because I haven't been able to return to my clinic work yet. You know, I heard a a saying recently where they said, like, you don't necessarily need to believe that everything happens for a reason, but that you can make a reason out of everything. And I think I really resonate with that. And so I think there have been some very positive things that have also come out of this, even though it's been difficult. I definitely miss my work in the clinic for sure. But it's also sort of made me appreciate veterinary medicine more than ever, even though I, I feel a little farther from it. I I love it more than ever. And it's forced me to look into like new ways that I can still be part of this community and this industry and this career with my new diagnosis. And I think I think that's that's not necessarily a unique experience. I think there's a lot of people in that position I've I've discovered since talking about it more publicly. I think that makes sense because some of the things you're talking about, like up and down off the floor and and doing backflips or, you know, even just standing over a surgical table or sitting in the case of some procedures, you know, even with the best equipment and the best posture and everything like that, vet med is a really physical career. Yes. And I remember like my advisor in vet school, he was a large animal guy. He did dairy cows. He couldn't open his hand all the way anymore. Like the, his last two or three fingers on his hand were damaged from doing so much palpating. Wow. And, you know, just our, our bodies, unfortunately, they don't always go the distance in this career, yeah. depending on how physical your particular part of part of this job is. So I would imagine, yeah, that there's probably a lot of people who can relate and say, yeah, I can't do it the way that I used to do. I know I have that feeling when I, yeah, you know, the up and down off the floor is not as easy as it used yeah. to be. Well, I got it. I mean, to it, I will admit that even before fibromyalgia entered my life, just entering my 30s made me start questioning yeah. some of the things I was doing right as a vet tech. But yeah, definitely made me, I never thought twice about everything we were doing in the clinic. It's it's so cliche, but like I never sat there and felt so grateful for the fact that like I could kneel on any hard clinic floor and not think twice about it, right? Oh like, my that's gosh, so I forgot I could yet- ever even do that. 
right? I once worked with a tech and I will say, I now, I now understand her more than ever. She used to wear knee pads under her scrubs. I was like, why is no one else doing that? I once talked to a scrub company. I was like, if you could invent scrub bottoms that had built in knee padding, we would buy you out of stock. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. I think you're yeah. on something. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it just makes you appreciate just how physical it is. And we don't even think twice about some of the things we're doing. And in the more I've gotten, you know, I'm still kind of getting comfortable about talking about it. Cause I was, you know, I fear not presenting it the right way or coming across as attention seeking or whatever, you know, it's a new thing. I've never talked about this publicly, but like much. So I'm still getting comfortable with it. But every time I do say something about what I've been going through, I get so many messages and comments from other people in our community talking about going through very similar experiences. And I also think as much as we've had many people leave our field because of pay, because of burnout, I think physical reasons are often part of that as well. I've heard many stories of people leaving the field because their backs finally were like, we can't take it anymore. Their knees finally were like, we're not lifting 80 pound dogs anymore. And so it's not necessarily the most unique experience I'm having. And I'm learning that, that, that this is more common than I realized. Sure. And you mentioned feeling farther from vet med and I can tell you, you know, certainly after talking to you, I, I, can understand why you feel that way, but I don't feel as, as a member of vet med that you are any farther from vet med. But it sounds like what you're describing is imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And and that is, you know, you're still just as much a vet tech as the day you graduated vet tech school, whether you're lifting 80 pound dogs or not. Yeah. But this is something that I think most, if not all of us struggle with to some degree in vet med. Oh, yes. I mean, I feel like imposter syndrome and I are like definitely besties but what's funny is it's like the most ironic syndrome in the entire world right because the whole premise of it is I don't belong here but everyone else does and yet all of us are thinking that that's like (laughs) the least unique experience ever right like it's not (laughs) like I'm so unique I don't belong here but everyone else does but everyone else feels the same way if anything like that makes us belong more right so it's kind of an ironic syndrome but I definitely have struggled with that majorly and I'm, I'm still dealing with it but getting better and better each day but definitely my whole you know I was one of those people who wrapped up a huge portion of my identity in my career working as an on the floor in the clinic veterinary technician you know, stereotypical, what you think of when you think of a vet tech, at least in the past. And I've learned that that is not completely uncommon either, especially these days when we're seeing more and more technicians and veterinarians and just veterinary professionals in general, starting to work remote positions because we're doing more virtual things, um, going into pet insurance industries or pet food industries or, or whatever it may be still within this veterinary community, but in very different non-scrub positions. And that that's, something that many of us have gone through is like sort of reevaluating who are we and how do we fit into the picture of vet med if it's not what it once was or what we once pictured it as. Um, And so for a while, I definitely felt like I don't qualify as a vet tech anymore. Like at one point I was going to change all my screen names on social media. So I was like, I'm not vet tech Kelsey anymore. But, um, you know, it's, it's been speaking about it and having other people talk about their experiences. And that has helped me understand exactly what you said. Like a vet tech is whatever I make it. I 
like on paper, I am a vet tech. I am sitting right next to my, my license right here. You know, I am a vet tech. And so I don't have to be working on the floor and drawing blood and placing IV catheters to identify as that and to be just as much a part of the community. But that is, it's something that it takes a little while to sort of reevaluate how you fit into that picture when you go into a new position. I think you had mentioned like you kind of went through something similar as a veterinarian when you started doing this podcast and, and more work outside of the clinic. Yeah, that's actually how how Andy Rourke and I um, got to know each other was I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm taking, you know, I, I already worked for Vetfolio, but I did it one day a week and, and, you know, three to four days a week. Besides that, I was, I was in the clinic and then, you know, I had my second daughter and we moved and my husband's job changed and life got crazy. And I also got the opportunity to take a second day working for Vetfolio and I love working for Vetfolio. But I I really struggled and I was like, I like I reached out to him and I was like, hey, am I still a vet if I'm yeah. not in the trenches every day? Like, is, does this still count? And he was amazingly encouraging and we had a great conversation about it. And, and I still have to think about that though. Like, it's not something where I decided like, okay, I'm still a vet. Uh, like, I still struggle with it sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's I kind of, I have to remind myself of it frequently. Like you said, if some, you know, sometimes you have to like look at that degree and be like, yep, that definitely says that yeah, I'm better. It tells me. Yeah, it's literally yeah. on paper, written yes. in stone. <laughs> yes. Like Dr. Rourke is one of the perfect examples of that, that, I mean, he still does work in the clinic, but he's not in the clinic every single day, but what incredible value he offers to the veterinary community. I think that's where my struggle lies and, and has, it has improved, but you know, it's, it's a constant, you know, work in progress is it's, it's not just your identity. It's reevaluating your value. And I think many of us go into this position or this industry because we want to help animals. Right. And so if I'm not directly helping an animal anymore, like where does my value lie? But I think we've learned, especially through the pandemic, that there's so much value beyond that. I mean, podcasts are a great example. How many people do you help just by creating a podcast episode that maybe does help someone in the clinic speak to an owner in a different way that helps that owner then commit to a treatment that helps that pet. It's it's an indirect value. And that's something I had to start to get comfortable with is I'm no longer laying hands directly on a patient, but maybe I can influence another technician who's having a hard day and it helps them get up the next day and go directly help an animal. Like, I think there's still incredible indirect value there. Okay. I'm hearing, I'm hearing so many valuable things that you're saying right now. Um, <laughs> Did I say the word value enough times? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I was like, well, that's the perfect word because there, there's so much that you're saying here. There's a couple of things that I really appreciate. One is you talk about your identity being wrapped up in vet med and that being a separate thing from reevaluating your values because I'm kind of in the same boat as you, like my identity is wrapped up in vet med and, you know, whether that's healthy, unhealthy, good or bad, that's, I, I don't see that changing and it's not something I'm making any effort to change. Like I'm okay with my identity being wrapped up in vet med. And there's many people who say, no, this is my, my job, not my identity. And, and that's okay too, wherever you fall. But I appreciate that you you separating out saying your identity is part of vet med from reevaluating your values because it makes mm -hmm. me feel like this is who I am, this is who I'm always going to be, and that's okay. Like I don't have to try to separate my identity from vet med. 
I just have to understand where the value of what I'm doing lies in that identity. Does that sort of make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that, wait, I, my brain broke. <laughs> you just said so many things that I was like, yes, so yes, many things yes. really fast. And then, <laughs> and then my brain went, it's too much overload panic. <laughs> as long as we don't, as long as I don't break anybody else's brain, who's listening, then take all the <laughs> boom. Like yeah. he could have warned me there. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't know what was coming out. It just kept coming it out. It just happened. <laughs> That's where the magic happens. Um, no, that that is that is absolutely true. I am on the same page as you. I think there is a lot of talk about how it's not necessarily healthy to wrap up your identity in Batman. I think my position has become it's healthy to wrap up your identity in VetMed as long as it's a bigger picture. And so I'll give you an example. This was a challenge to myself that I did that for June, I've been doing something I'm calling joyful June. And every day I post something that has made me happy that day. And there were two aspects to that. This is why I challenged myself. One was starting to post on social media again. I'm really uncomfortable posting on social media these days, which is so ironic because we're connecting right now because of my vet tech Kelsey yeah. social media. <laughs> But it's because I started the page as one person and now I'm kind of, I mean, I'm the same person, but in a living a different life kind of. And I have all this insecurity about, well, will the people who followed me for this, what if they're annoyed by this, you know, this new thing that I'm doing? Um, and so I've just challenged myself, just start posting again. You're making a bigger deal out of it than it needs to be, Kelsey, you know? But then the other part was also to say, if I have a public image as a vet tech on social media, why do I have to post only about clinic stuff? Why have I made that rule in my head that like, if I'm vet tech Kelsey, I have to post specifically vet tech things. Why can't I be vet tech Kelsey and say today, something that made me happy was this really cool flower I saw while I was walking my dog in the morning. Right. And I think that to me is what makes it healthy. I always, I always tell Andy, he posts on social media, sometimes things that have happened in his personal life, like about his dog, or he's working in his garden and people seem to really react to that. And I react to it too. And I always say it's because people want to know who you are outside of the clinic. And I think that's where I can say, I am a vet tech. And also here's what my life looks like beyond drawing blood. For the longest time, I stopped pretty much stopped posting when I got sick, when I developed fibromyalgia, because I was like, well, like I'm not in scrubs. I'm not in the clinic anymore. I don't have anything related to vet med, but the reality is like, isn't it all related to vet med? Because all of us as veterinary professionals take walks outside or walk our dog or all of us as veterinary professionals eat food. So if I have a great meal that makes me happy, like why can't veterinary professionals relate to that as much as they can relate to this really gratifying jugular vein that I just posted a picture of, right? And I think like for me, that's what I'm trying to teach myself is why, like, why does it, I've made all these rules in my head about what it means to be a vet tech and who I have to be for everyone. And like, no one else made those rules. I made them up in my head. They're invisible. Like why, why, why? Just why? Just why? Just why? <laughs> Just why? <laughs> but I think that's an important question to keep asking ourselves is, but why, you know, why do I feel this way? One of my favorite quotes is don't believe everything you think. Oh yeah. Because it's, I mean, yeah, like you think this and you get the, these things ingrained and then it's like, well, why, why is that so important to me? Why, why do I feel this way? 
who made this rule and sometimes it really is a rule and you should follow it you should always wear pants in public like (laughs) (laughs) these types of things but then there's other things where you know exactly what you said like well I have to do it this way well why do I have to do it this way can I do it differently what kind of responses have you gotten with um joyful June people seem to be liking it and I it's also a little bit freeing to just say like I'm gonna post what I feel like posting rather than what I think I'm supposed to post. So I'm having more fun with it. You know, I read this book once about sort of joy and and how to create more of it and how it talked a lot about our negativity bias as humans and how we can sort of flip the script and like deeply ingrain joy into our brains. And it's by sort of like reliving experiences, thinking about the memories, taking pictures of things that are good, like doing all these things, ruminating on your joy, the way we ruminate on on the negative, right? And so to take a picture of something that's making me happy and then tell other people about it and post it on the internet, it increases my joy. And then other people, what the feedback I've gotten is it makes them think about, well, what made me happy today? Or sometimes people will post pictures in the comments of like something that made them really happy. And I feel like there's nothing to complain about there. It's a win-win, I think. Do you remember the name of the book? Hardwiring Happiness. It's by Rick Hansen. Thank there you. it is. Thanks, uh, hardwiring Will. happiness. Okay. And it was a little dense, but ultimately like the lessons helped me a lot in terms of how I think about how I focus my brain, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, so we were talking about the, the rules in our brain and it was making me think about how I learned. I can't remember where I learned this from. And this may be something everyone knows, but it was like mind blowing news to me. But, you know, imposter syndrome to me is pretty equivalent with our inner critic, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's someone in your head telling you you're not good enough. It's funny because I learned this thing about our inner critic. This thing I was watching was saying your inner critic is really just there to protect you. It's trying to tell you, kind of warn you of all the ways that someone else could hurt you. So in other words, my inner critic is constantly trying to hurt my feelings before someone else has the chance to. (laughs) And I don't know why, but that kind of blew my mind. So every time my inner critic is saying like, don't post that on the internet, like no other vet tech is going to care about that. That's so stupid or whatever. I'm going, oh, my inner critic is just telling me that because it's warning me like someone else might say that and it would hurt your feelings. So I better say it first. You know, it's a possibility. (laughs) Um, And it blows my mind now because then it's easier to just hear it and go, okay, I'm not really too worried about that. What's the worst case scenario? Someone says that. Okay. (laughs) You know? Um, So I just, yeah, it was something that blew my mind. Maybe that's something everyone realizes already. No, no. I think you, you put it in a really, in a really good way there. I think, yeah. All right. My brain just broke there. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're getting back around. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a a good concept that I think is valuable in daily life of evaluating that worst case scenario. Like, okay, this happened. Oh my gosh. I'm going to ruminate on it for the next 16 hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. Instead of doing that, let's imagine the worst case scenario, accept the worst case scenario and say, okay, so this has happened. Like, where am I in my life now that this has happened? You know, are, are you going to be okay? Almost always. Yes. And so I, I mean, also that really, that spoke to me a lot as far as social media goes, because I'm also very insecure about posting on social media. Yep. Truly, it goes right back to where we were. Like somebody might think I'm less of a vet because I'm not posting clinic stuff. So yeah, I think 
using your inner critic to your advantage in that way, like you said, so your inner critic already hurt your feelings and you know, are you okay after having your feelings hurt? Yep. Yep. I'm okay. So let's go ahead and move forward with this and really using it to your advantage. The other thing it makes me think of is like the Dunning-Kruger effect. The the more you know, the more insecure you become about what you know. And so I guess, you know, if you have that imposter syndrome, maybe that's an indication that you, you should be here and you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. I actually heard, um, my friend, you might know her, Dr. Katie Berlin. She shared this thing on Instagram recently and it was a video of, and I'm going to blank on her name. It's the woman, um, from legally blonde who her tax like this and she does the bend and snap what is her name she's oh, so know. funny okay well anyways this, this actress she's speaking about imposter syndrome and she said you know the best thing you can do for imposter syndrome go and, and she's talking about as an actress she said go jennifer coolidge yes okay what would all right now do? i see it like now the yes. impression makes perfect yeah. sense <laughs> that was a terrible impression <laughs> no 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 i totally see it now <laughs> cut, cut all impressions from the podcast <laughs> Um, you know, so she was talking about, you know, what best thing to do from posture syndrome, attend all the worst possible things you can. So go to the, if you hear that a play is getting terrible reviews, go to it, watch it. You know, if you, if you hear that some movie is, is has ter- terrible production, definitely watch that movie and remind yourself that like, it's not all great. If you don't go to the best movie or the best play and, and see all these incredible actors and feel totally out of place. And I think the same thing applies for us. No wonder we have imposter syndrome. We are working alongside some of the smartest, most brilliant, most hardworking, most dedicated, most compassionate people in the world. If we didn't have imposter syndrome, we would be crazy. I mean, think about the people we're working alongside. That's insane. But then think about all the people who aren't in veterinary medicine. I once was called for an emergency tech check where they call over the page overhead, tech check to the front. We run up to the front and these are like when we're concerned that something's really wrong with the pet or the owner is absolutely panicked. I go up, this woman is having a full-fledged panic attack and she's holding her dog. She's, her eye is exploding. Something's wrong with it. Like her eye's going to fall out. I don't know what's going on. We take this little chihuahua with, with bulging eyes, just like my little chihuahua with bulging eyes. I sit down, I introduce myself to the dog, I look at the eye, and I very carefully remove a large piece of fuzz from the eyeball. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and the woman was so grateful and amazed. She was like, that was fuzz. How did you do that? I say, I do this to my chihuahua pretty much like five times a day, <laughs> you know? Um, but think about that person who didn't even know what was happening with her dog's eye and had no idea how to remove this little piece of lint from her dog's eye. And I did it in two seconds, right? Like those are the situation. What about the person who can't trim her own cat's nails? And then we sit there and do it for her. Like those are the people we should be thinking of when we're having imposter syndrome. We like to remind us that we're actually pretty incredible. We have skills that the average person does not have. We have knowledge that the average person is like so grateful that we have. And so I liked that take of like, don't focus on the people you're working with who are amazing, of course, but think about all the people who you're not working with, who you're working for that are so grateful for what you can do. And it makes you feel a little, a little more like maybe you do belong. Absolutely. I think that's such good advice because yeah, man, we really do work along, alongside the best of the best. And 
I love that you bring up that example because that would be something that would be really easy to brush off and say, yeah, I just pulled some lint out of a chihuahua's eye and sent the lady out the door. No, yeah. that's not what happened. You were a hero. Like you yes. saved that dog for, for that woman. And absolutely, <laughs> that, that was a really big deal. And I think it circles back around to focusing on the things that make you happy where it would have been really easy to just brush past that. No, like make sure you recognize those little moments yeah. where it seems like no big deal, but it, but it is a big deal and, and let it be a big deal. Yep. Absolutely. I will say, you know, being away from the clinic, I was saying since I've been more physically, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat physically disabled at this point and, and being away from the clinic has made me miss veterinary medicine more than ever. And I think, you know, part of it <laughs> probably is a little bit of that, like, ex-boyfriend effect where, you know, you break up with your boyfriend and then for the next week, all you can think of is all the wonderful things about them, Why right? You forget all the terrible things. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of that effect happening, but also it has made me remember all of the things that were so wonderful that I never took the time to truly appreciate. So like how good it feels to draw blood on a cat and just have it go smoothly and the cat barely flinches and you get this sample that's going to help a doctor diagnose and treat this pet. Oh, that feels good. Discharging a pet from the ICU after you've healed them through surgery or illness and how happy the people are to take them home. Like there's all of these little moments in our day that we're so busy. Of course, you don't have time to think about it, but now I've had all this time to think about it and, and it makes me miss veterinary medicine more than ever because I do have time to think about all of those really wonderful moments that we do get in our jobs. I mean, you think about, I remember the days when I worked at like Johnny Rockets and Old Navy and like, I didn't get those <laughs> kind of moments, you know, right. we do, we do. But, but that negativity bias does kind of work against us for sure. But I, I think there are things we can, you know, we can, we can work on leaning towards the positivity bias a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, as, as much as we hope that you will make it back into the clinic and, and be able to do all of this again, your perspective being taken out of the clinic and looking at it from a little bit more of a distance, there really is a lot of good there. Like, like you said, it's not all good. There's probably a little bit of, of ex-boyfriend effect, but I think, you know, when you're talking about helping people by making them want to get up the next morning and go back into work taking the time and using that distance to really illustrate all the positive things about vet med. I mean, vet med gets kind of a bad rap these days and, yeah. you know, and, and some of it is very justified. Some of it's not, of but really focusing on the positive, I think helps all of us who are watching our career in this, that's in this state of huge flux. And, you know, we're not quite sure where we stand these days and how it's going to, how it's going to look going forward and, and all of this. And when you can, take joy in the little things. It just, you know, it it's one more good day that you can have. Yeah, absolutely. And it was something I didn't quite understand. Like I, I do have more of a science math kind of brain. So there's a lot of things that in the process of going through this, you know, life changing chronic illness that I've learned about. And it's simple things like take joy in the little things. I didn't really totally understand that, you know, until I went through this life-changing event and I went, oh my God, like there was a point, for example, early on in my illness where I was going through a, a, a program called Curable for, and it kind of helps you, helps people 
live with and manage their chronic pain. And it goes a lot into pain science and things like that. And they asked us at one point in the program to write down one of our goals. And so for some people, it was like, I want to get back to swimming or running. And I wrote down my biggest goal is I want to walk my dog again. I hadn't been able to walk my dog for almost a year. And I just missed having that ability. Whereas I used to think of it as a chore. I got to get this done, you know? And I think that's what changed my perspective and made me understand what they meant by like, take joy in the little things. And I think like, that's a little bit of my hope and doing joyful June is that when I hear about other people's gratitude, if other people are like, we, I'm, I'm part of a chronic pain group and we all share daily gratitudes. And when I hear about my friend, Mary, you know, talking about how she's grateful for this amazing spaghetti dinner she got to eat. I'm like, oh my God, yes. I'm grateful for that smoothie I made last night. That was such a good smoothie, right? And just having those little examples, hearing other people's gratitude helps me with my gratitude. And so that's my hope is if I just start posting about my gratitude, like maybe that will help other people think in that gratitude way as well. And I think, you know, take joy in the little things, but also like appreciate the little things we can do. I can't be in the clinic anymore, but like maybe I can do that. It's worth a shot. It's not hurting anyone. Yeah, no, it, it is contagious. I mean, I, I said it before after our first conversation, I was like, I feel like I just had like a little therapy session yeah. because you are positive and it, it's contagious. And, you know, it. I, I think that you are making a big difference with your perspective and you've, you've taken this diagnosis of chronic pain that, you know, has taken you out of where you want to be and you've turned it into something really positive. I mean, I also want to take a moment here because you've talked about walking your dog and your little chihuahua with bulgy eyes. And yes. if you haven't been on Kelsey's Facebook page, Birdie is featured very prominently yes. and is quite adorable. So <laughs> we all need to go take a look at Birdie because she can bring everybody some joy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she definitely thinks the world revolves around her and it does a little bit. I it does chihuahua, a little bit. Like, yeah. Of course it revolves of around course. her. Of course. Yeah. No, she definitely um, ends up in the majority of my uh, joyful June posts. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but can't help it. And hey, we've all got a pet that uh, is our whole world. So why not? Yes. Mine likes to, I, I don't think I've like, I think I've put on a straight face because most of our um, podcasts are, we're talking about clinical topics and stuff. So I just kind of like work my way through it, but I cannot tell you how often I'm sitting here recording a podcast and Wrigley is sleeping under my desk, passing the most horrid gas. Like <laughs> I've been known to chat people in the middle and be like, oh, it smells so bad. And then I try to light a candle and then it just smells like candle scented <laughs> dog gas and it's terrible. Fantastic. They're like, you look really like you're not following me on this anesthetic <laughs> protocol. And you're like, no, I'm just struggling to breathe. <laughs> I'm just no big like, deal. Breathe. <laughs> I don't know how I got there, but yeah, I was, I, yeah, I don't, I have no idea how I, how I ended up there. <laughs> that is the, that's the topic of this part. I will say like, I learned so much about the value of some of the small things we do in veterinary medicine through my own medical experience. So I'll say like an example, I went into a new doctor several months ago and I was giving him like sort of a brief history of sort of my chronic pain and everything. And before we went on to the next part of the exam, he, all he simply said was, wow, that sounds like it must've been really hard for you. And I like almost fell off my chair. I think, <laughs> I mean, it is rare that I have a doctor even acknowledge what I'm saying, but for him to sit there and just take two seconds to think, 
what would it be like to go through what she's explaining and say, wow, that sounds like it would be really hard. That acknowledgement, I mean, meant the world to me. It made me feel so heard by this doctor. And I think that's like such a simple little thing that we can do when we're taking, you know, we're triaging a pet and the owner says he's been vomiting all day to be like, oh gosh, that sounds like it's hard for really, for both of you. I'm so glad you brought him in. That little bit of acknowledgement or, um, you know, I'm going to prescribe you these three medications. I know this is going to be a lot of work for you, but I really think this is going to help your dog. There's little bits of acknowledgement and, and putting ourselves in their shoes and letting them feel heard and seen and understood. Like what a huge deal. Callbacks. Mm-hmm. That was another example in my entire, almost three years of going through this experience. I've received one callback. <laughs> Oh, and it was after like a small procedure where someone called just to say, we just wanted to see how you're doing after yesterday's procedure. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Um, you remember me? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it was just like, it meant so much to me. And it gave me the opportunity to ask a question I had been meaning to ask, but I just like was feeling so sick. I didn't have the energy to pick up the phone and try to find the phone number and all this stuff. It, it made such a huge deal to me. And we do this callbacks all the time in veterinary medicine. We often probably don't think about what we're really doing and like what value it has, because I might do 20 in a row. Right. But for that one person, what a big deal. It, you know, it all ties back to just how veterinary medicine is such an, art that we we don't even real I'll go on just like a quick tangent here and then you can reel me in real quick but okay sounds good it's like I think about you know when we talk about creativity and everything I I I really do think that veterinary medicine is an art in the sense that you know half of art is the creation of it it's for the artist right it's 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 almost therapeutic to create art but half of the art is also how it is consumed by the audience, how it's perceived, how it's seen, how it's interpreted. And I think veterinary medicine, like like art gains value by being seen, by being consumed by, so if I choreograph a dance, like it has a certain amount of value to me, but it has even more value once an audience sees it and interprets it and, and receives some kind of message from it, right? And I think veterinary medicine is the same way. Half of the value lies in what we're actually creating, which is like, we're actually practicing medicine. We're performing a surgery. We're applying a bandage. Like there's obviously true value in that, but it would be incomplete without the perception of the audience, which in, which in our case is the client. And so without them truly perceiving the intended message of our art or our medicine, like it loses a lot of value. So for example, like if we perform a spay, like, there's value in that alone. But if the owner doesn't understand like all, all of the reasons we've performed that spay, then like they might not spay their next animal or they might, they might go on the internet and read that you shouldn't spay your animal. And then they pass that information on, right? Like being able to communicate with people in a way that they then can perceive what we are doing medically in the intended way and, and gain that knowledge like is so valuable. And I think that's, the performance aspect of it. Like the perfect example came to me re- recently because I was listening to the Kona Shame podcast and Dr. Rourke had Dr. Mary Gardner on his podcast from Lap of Love. And she just blows my mind. She was talking about like when people don't believe in euthanasia or they have like an aversion to euthanasia and the way she walked through how she speaks to people about euthanasia and the different questions she asks and how she explains what's going to happen. It was an absolute art. I mean, like it was, it was incredible 
art of language, right? And and that's a huge part of our jobs. It's not just performing a euthanasia, it's communicating the value of the euthanasia. So, okay, that was my long tangent there, but it just, I, it was making me think about, that's why I think there is such a two-part process to veterinary medicine. There's the actual medicine, but then there's also the performance aspect of it. I would agree with you. It's, it's actually making me think of a case that I saw yesterday where mm-hmm. I had this dog come in. He had 105 degree fever, acutely down, like vomiting, not down, like he could walk around, but just like acutely, like super lethargic, vomiting, diarrhea within the last 24 hours, really high fever. I still have no idea what's wrong with that dog. Oh no! Um, <laughs> and, and the owners were great. Like they let me do a lot of testing and stuff like that. And, you know, I went in and kind of explained to them, which the long and short was like, I don't know. But that's part of the art of it is explaining like, hey, we did all these tests. It wasn't for nothing. And I'm going to give you all the medical stuff because that's my job. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you the medical stuff. But the long and short is like, this is what we're going to do to treat. And I need you, you know, to come back tomorrow and let's continue to see how he's doing. And and we're going to figure this out. But that, you know, had I not communicated in the way that I did, which was very important to me to make sure that they understood that I appreciated that they let me do some digging and the things that we had ruled out and then, and how important this was. Yep. Or, you know, it could have come across instead of, you know, this is a caring doctor who's really trying to figure this out as, well, I don't know what's wrong with your dog. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is honestly often how I have felt going into my own doctor appointments. <laughs> like, sure. We do not know, but best of luck to you. Try exercising more. <laughs> and, and like- you know, I know that that's a source of fatigue in human medicine as well. Yeah. My sister is a physician. And oh, okay. She, you know, with different aspects of human medicine and stuff like that, she's left sometimes in places where she's, that's essentially what she has to say is like, we don't know. And mm-hmm. we don't really, we, there's nothing we can really do for you. You know, maybe it's an insurance issue or whatever it is. And she's like, it's, she's like, it sucks. It's, you yeah. know, the system is broken Yeah, and, and all of this, but now we're just going off on. Yeah. More are your, are, do your parents just spend like their entire day, like bragging to everyone? Like we literally raised two doctors. <laughs> no, I mean, that's insane. No. Let me tell you this. My mom's that. not allowed to listen to this podcast now. Okay. Now, because <laughs> then she's not going to feel quite as proud as she did before. Um, No, <laughs> she should feel. Doctors. Um, well, let's end on kind of like a fun, lighthearted note with song parodies and the hilarious content that you put out, which is absolutely a source of joy. And especially when Birdie is included, can we expect to see more of that going forward? I do hope so. You know, I have one of the struggles I've been facing is like, I do have some pain in my fingers. So I haven't been playing guitar as much, but it's definitely on my goals list because it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's just a hobby. It's something I would do even if no one enjoyed it just because I enjoy doing it. And so it's, it's definitely on my goals list to create some new vet med songs. Like that's one way I'm going to fight imposter syndrome. I don't care if I'm not working the clinic anymore. I could still write songs about it. Absolutely. And they are very reflective. I can't tell you how many times I've watched one and been like, yes, that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I hope for more. Yes. Well, Kelsey, this has been so much fun. And like I said, we could go on and on, but then I think everybody would tune out. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe that's my imposter syndrome. There we go. But thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. This is a blast. I really appreciate it. 
Well, I have no idea what just happened in that conversation, but I know that I just feel a lot better after having it. So I hope everybody else had as much fun as we did. Thank you, Kelsey, for joining me. Absolutely amazing to talk to you. Let's do it again soon. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.